0: All right, what's going on, everyone? I am happy to see a lot of people here in the comments. Man, let's see here. TRL Patreon is showing up. We got Adler with Serpent Eclipse. We got Jamie Rowe, Amy's in the house. Intrepid's here, and Luke over from Scotland. Guys, thanks so much for joining us live today. Um, As you can see, it is just me right now. Um, So this is different for me, new. But, um, I want to talk a little bit about why it's just me. Um, Nathan decided, uh, he needed a much, much needed vacation. Um, dude has been working like four jobs in the hair industry, got a baby or a bunch of baby retakes. So it is going to be me tonight with Kagan. Um, with that being said, Just want to remind everyone, as far as like self-care goes, what Nathan's doing right now, make sure that you guys are taking care of yourself, whether you're a breeder and have a bunch of snakes. Although we love these animals, sometimes we got to get away, do things that fill our cup up, so that way we can keep our mental health straight and right. Um, But yeah, I want to go ahead and just remind all of you guys right now that we are doing our 1K subscriber giveaway. So with that being said... Once we hit 1K, which I think we just hit over 800, we're going to be doing a giveaway of VivTech products. VivTech is one of our sponsors. Um, and we are going to be giving away, um, man, I don't even have it off the top of my head, four dollars $400 uh, a basket, you know, with their VivTech lighting, a mount, their camera system, uh, their temperature sensor readers. Uh, it, I, Think it's going to be awesome for anybody who's wanting to improve their their animals' well being. Again, it doesn't just have to be for retics; it could be for any one of your reptiles. Uh, and so, yeah, excited for tonight. Let me check the comments. I'm not even scrolling. I'm just looking at my camera tipping scales. What's going on? And man, Rayflex, what is going on? I feel like you're too busy for me. You don't talk to me anymore. Um, Anyways, Kagan, Kagan, Andrew, um, reptiles and roses. Um, I, I've, I talked to her for the first time a while back, um, probably two, three years ago. Um, but here recently she joined our Patreon. She is a Patreon member. Um, and I thought that she absolutely needed to come on the podcast because, uh, Don't know how many of you guys have heard of her or know her, but she is a wealth of knowledge, has tons of experience of keeping retakes and other species, which I'm looking forward to getting into for this episode. Um, So we are definitely going to be bringing her on here shortly. Um, As you guys know, before we do that, I do want to go ahead and uh, give a shout out to our sponsors and before we do that, guys, this is also kind of like a Q&A, whether you guys have a question for me about any one of our episodes um, or if you have a question um, in regards to TRL or for Kagan, um, go ahead and do that. Uh, this is going to be a live discussion that we're hoping to engage you guys on. So before we bring uh, Kagan on, we're going to go ahead and tune in to our sponsored ads. We'll see you guys with Kagan here in just a moment. Whether you're just getting into retics or you've been breeding for years, the first place you want to visit is Stewart Design. More and more breeders keep showing up at shows, on Morph Market, and are all over social media. Sometimes it may feel possible to get anyone's attention. Stewart Designs helps small businesses like yours do big things through brand clarity, helping entrepreneurs to start and scale businesses that are easy to know and love. Their work can help any company or industry, but they've done a ton of work for ours. Stewart Design created the brands for U.S. Canova, Reach Out Reptiles, Coiled, and dozens of other well-known reptile breeders. Like many of us, the owner of Stewart Design, Blake, is a keeper and breeder who fell in love with Retix through first working with Garrett Hartle. Although Stewart Design does a lot of corporate work, Blake has a passion for working with people in the reptile industry. Stewart Design can help if you're just getting started or you're ready to take things to the next level. You're struggling to stand out and build your presence online or at shows? You don't want to be like the other guys or get lost in the crowd, and you want to make your own way doing what you love. And also, you have big ideas and know your business is special, but you need help sharing it with the reptile community. If something here resonates with you, reach out to Blake and have a conversation. To learn more or get started, visit stewartdesignbrands.com or call them at 855 855- SD logos. Clear brands own markets. Stuart Design helps create them. If you are in the market for an enclosure for your reticulated python or any other one of your reptiles, Focus Cute Habitats is your one-stop shop for not only the best-looking cages on the market but also provide amazing features and add-ons to your cages. We partnered with Focus Cute Habitats because they continue to innovate and change the way we house are animals unlike any other caging company out there. Their cages are designed intelligently and provide the most stylish and secure housing for your animals' comfort and well-being. Visit FocusCubedHabitats.com for your animals' caging needs. Again, visit focuscubedhabitats.com for some amazing and stylish enclosures.
1: We also want to thank VivTech Products for being an affiliate sponsor of the Retick Lounge. Stop by VivTech Products for the best UV spectrum lighting on the market that will enhance and improve your snake's overall well-being and health. Visit VivTechProducts.com and use the code reticklounge 23 today for 15% off. Again, visit VivTechProducts.com and use our affiliate code reticklounge 23 today for 15% off. Looking for the perfect accessories for your hatchlings or juvenile retics? Look no further than Helly Guy Serpents. Our sponsor, Chris Sexton, is coming in hot with an amazing 3D printer, creating top notch perches and other caging accessories for your beloved pets. Enrich your retics environment with their high quality products. Use our promo code TRL10 for a 10% discount on your purchase. Visit them today at HellYGuyserpents.com and start giving your pets the best. Heli Guy Serpents, the premier source for 3D printed caging accessories. Again, that's www.heliguyserpents.com and use our promo code TRL10 for 10% off all of your 3D printed accessories today.
2: What's up? How's it going, man?
0: going well. Glad to finally have you on. I know, same. So um, you got animals behind you.
2: I do have some animals behind me. Are,
0: are they all snakes?
2: Most of them, yes. There's a okay. leopard gecko in that one, but yeah. Okay. Did
0: you? Oh, it looks like it's further back. It looks like you were just touching it. Oh, okay. It's right there. All right. So, Kagan, if you if you don't mind, um, I, I would love, absolutely love for you to just kind of share a little bit about yourself. Um, you, you kind of joined our Patreon uh, not too long ago, maybe only like two or three months ago, yeah. um, but it seems like you kind of just like fit right in, um, <laughs> engaging in conversation, um, and you have amazing animals that I can't wait to get in and talk about that you have showed off on the Discord. So take it away.
2: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, honestly, joining that Discord has been such an excellent experience for me. So I'm, I'm not super, super involved in a whole lot of social media. Um, and finding that little niche community to where I can just kind of jump in. I get along with everybody. Everybody has really fantastic discussions, talking about breeding, localities, morphs, all this other stuff. I just, I love it. I love it so much. It's great. I, I'm, I'm saying something to somebody every day.
0: Well, you know? I mean, I know we appreciate that, um, hearing that, <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, it's kind of crazy. Cause like when I, have been on other discords before, prior to Nathan and I starting the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, um, I always notice on the other discords that the, the, you know, people who hold down the fort on Patreon, like they typically don't engage or involve, but there's so much conversation. I can't help, but to like, share animals on there, talk to people. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. Um, so reptiles, why do you like them? No, I'm kidding. So well, how, how long, long have you been right keeping them? Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> where, where did this start for you? Um, I mean, you, you got a bunch, so when did it all start?
2: All right. So if we're starting from the very, very beginning, um, I was never a Barbie kid, right? Like I was never a girl that liked Barbies. Uh, I was a dinosaur girl. Uh, every single one of my toys growing up was dinosaur toys. I was, I would, you know, if anybody gave me a Barbie doll, that was the prey for the dinosaurs, <laughs> right? Or, you know, she would become dinosaur wrangling Barbie and she'd be riding a T-Rex on the way to save some, some velociraptors over there, you know? So awesome. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I just immediately latched on to dinosaurs and scaly things. Um, So when I was a kid, I grew up with... My grandparents were a really big influence on me. And my grandmother was really into plants and nature and flowers and all that lovely stuff. And my grandfather was very into... Uh, you know animals, and you know the more grungy side of nature—dirt and bugs and slugs and all that good stuff. So I grew up with bugs in my pockets. You know, I was <laughs> I was that kid that would go outside and catch fireflies for five hours, and and then come in and just be like, <laughs> and release them in the house. Uh, we had a creek in our backyard, um, in one of in one of the houses one of my childhood houses and there was crawfish crawdads and fish back there. And I would go back there and catch the fish. And I thought it was a great idea to fill up the bathtub. And this was their new home. So, you know, my, my grandmother would walk in and be like, okay, cool. There's, there's five crawdads and 10 fish in the bathtub. That's so
0: so you've been keeping wild caught animals since you were a little
2: child. (laughs) So that was when I was really little. And then, um, so, I was an outdoor kid, right? I grew up drinking water from the hose. You know, I I grew up playing in the dirt outside all the time, climbing trees, being a little wild thing. And one day, I I was probably five, six, really young. I brought my grandfather a baby copperhead. And he was like, okay, so it's like that. All right. Uh, So after that, he made a very large emphasis on, okay, I'm going to teach you about snakes. We're going to figure out the ones that are okay to hold and pick up and the ones that are definitely not. We're going to learn, teach you how to identify them, proper way to, you know, go find them, all that good stuff. Because I was, I was constantly picking up rocks, picking up anything that I could, looking under logs, trying to find everything and just had a blast with that. So
0: I, 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 as a dad, like I'm trying to do the same with my daughter loves dinosaurs. <laughs> she, she'll walk around and she literally out of nowhere will be like, Raw! and she's like walking with her hands up. It's awesome. Um,
2: oh, for go, a really long time, the way that I walked around was like with my feet raised like a velociraptor, you know, that was just second nature.
0: <laughs> oh, did you get picked on at school?
2: I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's um,
0: but while we're talking about dinosaurs, um, I know tipping scales asked, what is your favorite dinosaur?
2: All right. I was hoping somebody would. Um, So I think my absolute favorite one is Carnotaurus. So that really fearsome looking uh, T-Rex shape with the badass horns, you know, really crazy cool looking. That's probably why I like my black roughneck monitor so much. Um, But Velociraptors are really close second. And okay. I, I used to love velociraptors growing up. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think that's where I found my immediate attraction to reticulated pythons is because they kind of have that, that Velociraptor-y looking face. You know, they're real raptor looking.
0: You know, I never even like... Made that connection, but there was something about a retic's face that's just like prehistoric, right? Like compared to other ball pythons, right? Like you look at a ball oh, yeah. python face and it literally looks like a cupcake. Um, but you, you talk about uh retics are just something like uh, I don't know, just again, prehistoric about them. So that's actually. Yeah. That kind of just struck a bell right there. So you mentioned that that's kind of what got you into retics. Um, but aside from collecting all the snakes and bugs in your pockets, um, (laughs) when, when did you get like your first pet reptile?
2: Ooh. Okay. So my, I had pets that I wasn't allowed to have, right. We had a lot of garter snakes, Uh, in the garden that I grew up in. My grandmother had this massive garden. I would always find garter snakes in and around there. And I would bring them in and keep them in a little tote until somebody, you know, was like, that needs to go outside. So I had unofficial pet garter snakes all the time, annull lizards, fence lizards. I think my very first official pet reptile was somewhere around 2013 to 2014. I had gotten a bearded dragon uh i i went to petco and they're like here's how you take care of it and so i followed those directions that was a mistake that was a mistake (laughs) uh they did not know what they were talking about so you know things didn't end well with that first bearded dragon um after that learning that petco is not the best informational resource to use for reptile husbandry started doing more research ended up getting a leopard it's pet deco. smart right pet smart yeah pets
0: pet, smart. no, pet, pet smart's the one that's good at husbandry advice not petco
2: oh <laughs> i don't know <laughs> oh man um i'm i'm just so excited to see everybody in the chat right now it is um, distracting
0: I get, I get distracted all the time
2: i, I haven't mean, gotten to say hey to anybody yet so it's say like hi I see Adler and Jamie and Emily and Tim and Vlad and John. And I'm just like, what's up guys? How's it going?
0: (laughs) We got Kagan's fan group here. I'm excited. We do got quite a few people in the comments. Um, guys, make sure you guys are dropping those comments below. If you want to ask us any questions and then if you guys are in the room right now and you haven't, please go ahead and like the video, get those likes up for us and uh, give Kagan some love with a like. Um, Okay, I like terribly interrupted you with the most like stupid joke ever um, of PetSmart versus Petco, but um, so that was back in, you said 2013?
2: Yeah, t- 2013,
0: 2014 time. Okay. um, So you got that bearded dragon and kind of take us through the process and like fast forward us into like when you kind of started getting into wanting to like, keep more than one like when did that become like was it when you moved out were you still at home with your parents when did you start collecting reptiles
2: Ooh, okay and
0: by collecting I mean having pets you love like obviously they're not right, just right, right. items but yeah
2: because the first the first uh ball python I got was never intended to be a breeder I didn't I didn't even know about the world of ball python breeding at the time I had just I think I saw like a ball python at pet smart and was like oh that's cool I started looking up on looking them up online. And actually my very first ball Python that I ever bought was through reptiles by Mac of all places. Uh, if you don't know who that is, it's just basically like not a very good wholesale, big box breeder. I don't, I don't even think they're around anymore. I, was but gonna say, I don't day, think
0: I even heard of them.
2: Yeah. Back in the day, they're, they're, they were a really large proponent of who distributed to a lot of the pet smarts and pet and, you know, that would get the ball pythons out there for the general public. So it was, you know, obviously if they're just producing random ball pythons to sell at a big box store, you know, it, it wasn't like a reputable breeder that was like, you know, really honing in on their collection and stuff like that. But yeah.
0: So interesting comment that Jessica just brought in
2: mm-hmm. pet
0: smart sources our ball pythons through him. So, you know, oh, they're great quality.
2: Is he is he still around? I'm assuming that, that he's, he's still doing his thing.
0: Yeah, and they yeah. supplied a lot of leopard geckos for them. So yeah, interesting. Um, and so you started. I mean, so take us through that. So you you got some ball pythons. Like, were you interested in breeding them? Did you start buying a, a little like breeding pair? Or so
2: I got my first one, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Let me, let me start looking for another one. It still wasn't like an intention to breed them. I ended up finding a local ball python breeder who was like, Hey, do you want to like, come pick out your snake, come see the collection. And so that was the first time I had ever been around a significantly large collection of, of snakes, of ball pythons. He didn't have any, any big constrictors or anything like that. It was primarily ball pythons, um, but it was just like mind blowing. Like I was like, "Whoa, this is this is so cool!" You know, like learning how he paired them, how he got certain morphs, and and all that. So from there, that kind of sparked my interest. okay, maybe maybe breeding would be interesting. He's actually the one um, that taught me about Repticon and reptile shows in the first place. So I had no idea that reptile shows were a thing. So I go to my first Repticon ever, and my mind is just blown because, you know, young... How, K, you how know, old were
0: you around this time? <sighs>
2: uh, if this is 2014, 2015, I would have been... 2019? 19,
0: 19 or 20? Okay, yeah. I, I, I feel like I didn't even go to my first show until I was like... I don't know, probably 24. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had no clue that those were really a thing either.
2: Yeah. So, you know, going there for the first time and seeing all these animals, it was like, okay, so this is an option. Cool. Started getting into it started, you know, I I wasn't very in the know about just how many ball Python morphs there were out there. And at the time, I also didn't know recessives, co all that kind of stuff. So I started just kind of buying things that I thought were really pretty, things that I thought were beautiful. I still have, you know, one of my very first snakes that I bought from, from reptiles by Mac. Um, I still have her. You know, she's, she's one of my favorite animals still, but... Absolutely. Once I, once I learned about that, I started looking more into it, got some more animals. And now I'm at the point where obviously I've had a lot of years to reflect on exactly what it is that I like about each species. And I've really narrowed down and honed in what my collection is rather than having a bunch of random different things sprinkled in here and there.
0: So what does your collection right now consist of? So.
2: So I have about 20 reticulated pythons, uh, ranging from adults to hatchlings. Uh, Within that, the main animals that I focus on are uh, percentage locality animals that are in like a snow breeding group. So I have like a lot of het snows, anneries visible snows all that kind of stuff i also am very into anthrax stuff and have a couple of really really fun pairings that i'm going to be working towards either at the end of this season if i can uh, if i can get the girls to go this season or next season
0: okay yeah anthrax is is I feel like people sleep on anthrax. Like it, it hasn't, it's kind of seems like it's resurfacing a bit. I know they're coming, you know, into the, the superdorf world. I got a clutch here, 50% superdorf hets and uh, Sean McMillan had a clutch last year. I saw there was another breeder who had eggs in the incubator. So it seems like people are starting to go that direction. Yeah. Um, no, those,
2: but- those hets that you have between what already is a really fantastic, uh v- visual creation of a het you know those hets express that het really crazy busy patterns striping down the back all that stuff combine that with what you know this the locality stuff which already tricks out the pattern and makes things really cool those animals are phenomenal looking and those you know the visual of that as an adult is just going to be like they look be
0: crazy. They look better than some marbles. I'm excited to see what yeah. anthrax looks like in Superdorf, with Superdorfs being silver and brown, mm-hmm. and anthrax typically being like very black. I'm wondering if we're going to yeah. see the silvers and blacks playing along. But um, so so you said anthrax, some snow stuff, and Superdorf stuff. Any other projects that you're working with with Retix?
2: Um, Not that I have. Oh, I do have some uh, ocelot stuff, he- ocelot stuff.
0: Oh, yeah, you know, I almost oh. forget
2: about that. Wow. Okay.
0: I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of have some some off-line stuff.
2: <laughs> I just slipped my mind. When
0: did you When did you get your first retake?
2: Ooh. Okay. My very first retake I got in 2018. So the kind of timeline of events was had this ball python collection, thought it was really cool. I go to my first reptile show and. I got to hold a reticulated python for the first time. And anybody who has ever held a reticulated python knows that as soon as you put that animal in your hands, you are going to fall in love with it. There is no question about that. It is just like it's a completely different experience than handling any other snake, you know. And so held that first retic. And I was like, I need this. Didn't know what I was getting into. Kind of got talked into it a little bit because I was like, I would like to go home and do a little bit more research than this, than just jumping right into it. And um, of course it was, it was Samson that that sold me my first retake. And he's like, oh, you can handle it. No, pr-, You know, he hyped me up, was like, you know, this is what you need. You need, you need to take this animal home. This animal's meant for you. So First day of the show, I go home or I, I, yeah, I go home that night and I find all of my PlayStation 4 controllers that I'm like, I worked at GameStop at the time. So I took all my PlayStation 4 controllers that I was like, I don't need this one. I don't need this one. I know I can get $40 for each of these. And I traded in a bunch of games, uh, got cash for my controllers, went back the next day and I got that retake. And I it I'm sure Samson would have
0: probably traded it to you for PlayStation controllers, but
2: <laughs> Maybe. Sorry. <laughs> uh, he does like the trades, doesn't he? <laughs>
0: so, real quick. So, um, Luke asked a question here anthrax Ooh. and snow to make anthrax snow eventually. Is that something that's on your radar?
2: It will be in the future. So, the first things uh, that I'm going to be working towards with anthrax is I have a male that Sal from Sal Daddy Retix produced, and he is a het ocelot, het mocha, pos het anthrax. He's beautiful. I absolutely adore this animal. He's going to be going to my Sunfire double het anthrax albino or mocha female, and my platinum anthrax girl that's right behind me. So first thing I'm going to do is prove out if he's het anthrax or not. Uh, and then kind of work on those holdbacks and then eventually anthrax snows will be coming. I don't, has anybody made that pairing before? Has anybody made,
0: I don't think so. Hmm. No. Um, I want to say no, actually that doesn't have anthrax in it. I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, and I think that, I mean, as good as some of like the anthrax ghost look, the mochino anthrax, I mean, yeah. if you throw anery in there and make it creamy and I, I think it'll oh look gosh. really good.
2: It absolutely. I mean, so with that male to my sunfire pairing at minimum, I'm hoping to hit a mochino anthrax poshet ocelot at best. I'll hit a mocha anthrax Ocelot. Uh, He, I mean, he looks, I've shown him to you before. He looks very head anthrax. So I have a feeling that he'll end up proving he's got all the markers for it, but only time will tell with that.
0: That's the cool thing about anthrax and like the whole granite back aspect of heads. So that's an exciting project. Um, So 20 retakes, you said, what else you got in terms of reptiles or, I mean, even if you have other exotic species, birds, anything like that?
2: Oh man, okay, let's just start listing them then, because I'll i go through it. So, let's see, I've got reticulated pythons. I think in total I have around 60 to... Oh wait, I just had a clutch hatch. So somewhere between 60 and 70 snakes total. I have Mexican black kings, California kings, Kankakee locality bull snakes... Halmahera geckos, toke gecko, green tree frogs, Sudan-plated lizard, black roughneck monitor, a Russian tortoise that lives in my kitchen, a snapping turtle. <laughs> I have... Let's see. Let me make sure I'm not missing any other reptiles. Hmm. I probably missed one. Um, I have... So another... Big thing that I do—that's a—that's a really big part of how I manage my animals and how I, you know, run everything here—is I am very big on producing all of my own feeders. So I have uh, a breeding rat colony that I built a shed for in my backyard. I have you are a, busy. I am
0: busy. You are busy.
2: <laughs> I have mice in there too that I breed because you know there's always that one ball python that's like. I want a mouse instead. Right, and I have meat rabbits. So all my retics either get uh, rabbits. I have breed I have uh, chickens that I breed. I incubate their eggs and hatch hatch little baby chicks. I have uh, a couple of Dubia roach colonies, and I have turkeys. I have turkeys. Okay. <laughs>
0: So I think the comment there on the screen is absolutely correct. It's easier to list what you guys don't have.
2: <laughs> Saltwater and freshwater fish, dogs, and somebody recently dropped off a kitten onto our farm. So she's around for the time being.
0: Okay. Well, I was going to ask if you had any cats.
2: <laughs> Not on purpose.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so
2: unfortunately, being we're kind of on the side of a highway. And it's very obvious, you know, we, I have a 2,500 square foot garden that's very visible from the road. You know, you can see the chickens and the turkeys and I mean, it's, it looks like a farm and uh, our little homestead, like homestead. And unfortunately, that means that when people drive by and see that they think, oh, they've got animals. What's one more? So this isn't the first time that, that somebody has just dropped off a random kitten onto the property, which is Jeez. really unfortunate, but they know they're like, oh, this person's a bleeding heart for animals. They're going to, they're going to do something with it. So. <laughs>
0: we can see the turkeys from the highway. So clearly they could take a cat.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly.
0: So, um, I, I kind of want to get into a topic that, you know, it's obviously not fun to talk about, but, um, you, you worked for, for Santa Pruitt for three years. Um, and, and before we even kind of get into, to that whole thing, um, I I just like a lot of people kind of talk about how, like, you know, experience keepers, right. Um, and, and what makes someone experienced and knowledgeable and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people think it's time and, and I think it is a little bit of time, right. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but the reason why I, I kind of like the more that we've talked and you've shared your knowledge, knowledge with Retix, um, I've, I've really realized and through talking to other people that I, I think the biggest like the the biggest factor when it comes to experience and knowledge is number of animals that you work with because the more animals you have, the more different type of personalities you're going to work with, the more troubleshooting, mm-hmm. the more sick animals, the more healthy animals, the more breeding, the more right. Like, I mean, it's just goes on and on. Like if someone has four snakes and they've been doing this for 10 years versus one person who's had to work for someone hands-on with an entire collection of a thousand snakes and they've been doing it for three years. Like yeah. I, I give the three year 1000 snakes, the, the, you know the edge on the the four snakes for 10 years um mm-hmm. and so i feel like there's a lot of unpack in regards to to you even working at, at samson's but before i want to kind of go into my part nathan kind of had a question that he sent to me that he wanted me to to ask you so nathan asked um uh oh man i lost his question <laughs> I had it right up on my phone. Um, so first off, I'll get, I'll get back to his question because I, I butchered that one, but um, what, what, how did you find that? Like, how, how did you get that, that opportunity and, and what, what happened there?
2: So s- when I went to my first reptile show, that's when I met Samson and When I went to that very first reptile show, something that I reflect back on now that I find very interesting is the fact that as I was walking around, there weren't many breeders, many people at tables that were kind of taking me seriously as as a potential buyer or just a a reptile keeper in general. So I was going through table to table to table and nobody was really engaging me and talking to me. When I met Sam, he was, you know, very energetic, very, you know, let me, let me sell this girl an animal. And was, it it made me feel at the time, like, oh, this guy respects me. He's giving me the time of day that I feel like I deserve, you know, let me look more into this. So at the time he had mentioned, I have this breeding facility, I can tell you're really into animals. You should come work for me. And at the time I was like, I- I'm in school. I No, that's not an option for me. And, I- and at the time I also wasn't as into reptiles as I am now. So fast forward a little bit, I'm nearing the end of college and I realize, wow, I, I really do love reptiles like very much. And I would like to work with them more. I still wasn't willing to move out of state for them though. So one of the girls that I had met at a reptile show was like, hey, I work for this company called My Reptile Guys. You should just apply and see if you would be a good fit with them. And that was kind of what started the big lead-in to me getting more into reptiles. So it was a educational entertainment company that I would go around and take this group of animals to schools, to libraries, to Boy Scout of America, Girl Scout of America events, all these weird different avenues. And I got to bring this group of animals in and share that with people. And it was really, really wonderful for me because I was very passionate about snakes and I got to literally see the change and and dynamic of somebody looking at this animal being completely afraid of it seeing a woman handling it and being like i mean check this out this is really cool teaching them about it getting them to hold it and then by the end of the show they'd be like this is amazing like this is this is so much cooler than i ever thought it would be you know they'd be like wow i never knew that 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 snakes could be so incredible so i did that for a couple of years And one of the biggest shows that I got to do with that was in front of like 1,500 people. It was for the city of Woodstock in Georgia. I got to do, you know, get up on this massive stage with my animals, big crowd. It was really fun. Another really interesting thing that I got to do was there was one day that I was lined up for a gig. And it was like, okay, go to this address, you know, standard procedure. I show up and it is an absolute mansion. I mean, just the biggest house that I've ever seen up close in my life. And as soon as I drive into the driveway, they say, hey, we need you to sign this waiver. We're gonna be filming today. You need to sign this this waiver so that you know we can have you on camera and all that good stuff. And I was like, all right, where still didn't know where I, I was. Like- <laughs> <laughs> It turned out I was at Rapper TI's house and they were filming TI and Tiny friends and family. Uh, one of the, one of those shows. And so it was a birthday party for, for his daughter. That's his pretty daughter. awesome. And, and I got to, I was actually, there's like an episode of that show that I'm in. They blur out my face and they pitch up my voice and it doesn't look or sound <laughs> anything like me. You can't actually tell, but I was there.
0: <laughs> that was me. Yep.
2: Yeah, you can see my, my Euromastix. I'm, I'm showing it to the, to the kid. That was pretty cool. But I mean, he he brought in the whole works. You know, he brought in a roller coaster and and like a little mini roller coaster, a a little carousel. I mean, it was it was wild. It was something you, out
0: of you, you parents in cool. the comments. Step up your kids' birthday parties. Get a roller coaster, oh <laughs> right? Jeez, that's over the top, but that's pretty cool.
2: It was very cool. Mm. Um, and after doing that for a couple of years, I I really loved it, and I loved having. An avenue where I could be part of an outreach to people to show them reptiles and educate them about reptiles. And that was fantastic. Meanwhile, within my own collection, I'm learning how to breed ball pythons. You know, I successfully hatch my first ball python clutch. I still have my hold back from that clutch. You know, she's over here. She was hatched in um, 2019. I think that is. And so... When I got that first clutch, there was just something in my mind that clipped. Seeing her on those eggs, pulling her off of those eggs, you know, incubating them, hatching them, cutting them. I mean, the whole process was just like, I want to do this every day, you know? Right. And Sam uh, had reached out to me again and he was just like, hey, come work for me. And I was like, all right. You know, he sent me pictures of his facility and it was not what the facility actually looked like when I went to go and visit. The photos were a lot better than the actuality of it.
0: So he didn't send you a picture from the Slither files. He sent you a like when he just moved the snakes in.
2: Pretty much. I mean, it was probably a photo of when they had just moved everything into a, into a room and everything was clean and, you know, the racks weren't covered in cobwebs and yeah, it looked good. So, and I was like, okay, let me take this chance to, to see what this is about. You know,
0: I, 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 for those of you that, that haven't heard uh Kagan's story of, about working there, she, uh, was on intrepid exotics podcast and they had a great episode and kind of talked he, he was also there as well for a, a bit of time, but they, they talked about their experiences on there. But, um, I, I can imagine you worked there during the time of those conditions. Yep. Like what, what did that do for your mental health?
2: So when I first got there thing, like there were, two employees there. Things were in, in, in pretty rough shape. And he painted it to me like, hey, we really need people who are passionate about the animals that aren't just going to up and quit the next day. We need people who are going to be really dedicated and come in here. And I said, you know what? Bet. I'm that person. And when I commit to something, I see it through. So he had shown me the pictures of the facility I went up there and toured it, and you know, there were two employees. things didn't look good. He was like, that you're the change that we need to see. So when I first got there, I was I was dialed in. I was ready to make a difference. I was under the impression that this is not how the conditions normally are. This is just a fluke. This is temporary. And when I first came in and started making these changes, and that's around the time I believe that that Tim came on when, when, when he and I really started getting in there and, and cleaning stuff up. It wasn't bad. I mean things were things were good. We walked out of there every Friday with fresh fresh clean water in every water bowl and clean enclosures for the animals to sit on. But the thing is about that collection and and the way that Sam runs things is, if things are like this, going up and down roller coaster, or going down, and then a change happens to where it's on an uptick and it's steady goes up, that's when he's like, "Oh, we're in a good spot now. We can take on more." And let me
0: get, let me guess, this is when he got the freaking like sixty tegus from Florida. And
2: that wasn't even then yet. No, man, he, oh, would geez. Just, he would just come home from shows with like three adult Asian water monitors or, <laughs> or two big morelets crocodiles or just, just random shit or somebody's collection that, you know, there was even a time where he's like, Hey, there's this person that's selling a really high end pied collection. And if you help me invest $10,000 into it, we can make a lot of money off of this. And at the time I was like, you know, that, no, I'm good. I I don't need that. But that's just kind of how he would do is he would, when he would find a collection, it's almost like he wasn't considering, does this fit into my plans? Do I really need this animal? Is this animal- Genetically significant to where it's going to help me improve my breeding program. It was just I'm Hold going. On. To and, and,
0: and, and another important question is: How do mm-hmm. my employees feel about this? Who are the ones doing the work to clean the freaking animals?
2: Oh, like, there like it is is,
0: <laughs> is, is. is that not a, a conversation to be had? Um, man, no, that's right? front.
2: And as so, uh, here's another another thing: is I was named a facility manager within about two months of being there. Now, mind you, at this point, I have three hatchling to yearling reticulated pythons, not a whole lot of experience with them, handful of ball pythons, really not a whole lot. And I get dumped into the situation where I get put on this pedestal, you know, being told you're the facility manager now. I didn't have, I mean, realistically, I didn't have enough experience at that time to be deserving of that title, but I was given it anyways. And over time as things, you know, I, I, It was about the year mark where that, that switch in my brain flipped and it was, it just became, I mean, it was, it's hard for me to, to go back and reflect on because it's almost like, how, how the hell did this not occur to me prior to this moment? But it, 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 I realized at about that year mark that it was like, oh no, things are never going to change. They're always going to be this way. And I am fighting an uphill battle that I am never going to win. And I I prided myself on being able to keep the animals clean and putting in those hours. I mean, staying a good two, three hours after most shifts, especially on Fridays. We would not leave Fridays until every animal was cleaned, fed, watered, good to go. And there, man, there was a week, there was a week when I was there where I was the only sole employee there. Now the collection, I, I sat down and I, I went through some of my, I have, I still have my old inventory notes from, from when I worked there. I went through my inventory notes. There were roughly 400 adult females, 275 adult males, roughly 200 sub-adult animals that, we're kind of on the verge of maturity, but not quite there yet. Um, roughly 500 holdbacks, ranging from hatchlings to subadult, you know, juveniles, and then there would be anywhere from 500 to 1,000 hatchlings at any given time. I mean, that was that was like the average of it, but there were times where there would be 1,500 hatchlings in that in that hatchling room. So to give everybody a rough estimate of the number that we're looking at here, 2,375 reticulated pythons.
0: I get anxious just even thinking about that number. Um, I, I, I hit a point, you know, I've sold five adult animals right now. And, you know, it's, it's not because, you know, they're not being cared for because it's so much, but just like, I mean, I feel like everyone at some point knows like, okay, that this is it. This is like the sweet spot, right? Um,
2: yeah.
0: It seems like that wasn't the case with him.
2: No. Um, and that's how I feel about my collection right now is so me cleaning by myself. I have, you know, somewhere between 60 and 70 snakes. I feel like I could expand a little more without having, too much stress on my shoulders, but like, this is a good number for me to continually maintain throughout the week to make sure that everybody's water gets changed, you know, a couple times a week to make sure that once I see a shit, I'm going to go clean that. I'm the kind of person that like, if I walk in and I see a poop, I'm going to put my glove on and I'm going to go scoop that, you know, I'm not going to wait till later. I'm going to do it then and there.
0: It's, it's easier to do that, to be yeah. honest. Right. Yeah, I, because
2: I to- Sorry. No, no. I
0: was going to say, I mean, because when you you postpone it and you're like, oh, well, I was going to clean some snakes tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, poop in a cage for a day, like not, not a big deal, but, um, then you get into the room that next day and, you know, four others have done it. Right. And so then that's where people can start to get behind. It's just, I I don't know. That's my recommendation. Like if you see it, just do it real quick. It, 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 you know, it's not time consuming. If you just do it right then and there, it becomes time consuming when you leave it there. And then you got to scrub and you got to like use scrapers, right? Like if you just get it done when it happens, it's the easiest way.
2: I used to do it to where I would say, okay, these two days a week are my big cleaning days. You know, obviously if there was a really disgusting enclosure, I am not going to leave an animal in that. But if I see an animal shit, I say, okay, Tomorrow is my cleaning day. I'm gonna go through everybody then and do it. It's just it's just so much easier. On you know, I still have my my cleaning days where I go through and deep clean everybody. But doing those spot cleanings is just like a continual thing throughout the yeah. week.
0: I feel like now because we're on the topic of this, I think it's a good time to just reflect. And I've talked about it on on other episodes before, and it's a, it's a topic of uh, discussion in our. Uh, patreon community quite a bit but just in terms of like the the rapid growth with keeping retics right like if if you rapidly grow with ball pythons you got to realize like it you're you're most people who are breeding ball pythons you know you can get 20 of them and it's easy Mm -hmm. to clean when they become adults just as easy to clean you're grabbing you're picking up the snake you're dumping it you're spraying it you're putting bedding and you throw it back in
2: you don't need a hook to open that tub
0: (laughs) right um and then when it comes to retics you you get 20 hatchlings oof i feel bad for you in four years like if you weren't prepared for that because not only are cages bigger they pee more their their poop is the size of your forearm um like it's just it's it's not like other species so i just want to throw that out there like if you're growing quickly and you don't have like four adults yet and you're growing quickly and you're getting a bunch of snakes um you know it's it's hard like self-control is hard trust me i'm a i'm a I'm going to ex- like that. I have experience with that growing quickly phase. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I, and I speak of that from experience. Like I, I grew quickly and fortunately my snakes never suffered the the price for that. But um, my stress did for a while until I adapted and um, you know, it's, it's a lot. Um, I mean, Luke in the comments, I think said 27 retics is a full-time job, I bet. And just about like, yeah, um, and then if you want to breed and then you have hatchlings on top of that. Right. So it becomes becomes quite a bit. But so you, you started to realize like this is never going to change at Samson's
2: when on, a, when on a small aside. I I sent you a photo. Okay. You mentioned like shits the size of your arm. I have yeah. a really great photo of literally a shit the size of my arm. It's I got.
0: I'm going to work my back end to try to get this up on the screen because this is literally, I'm, I'm going to try to even show it here. That's yeah, her arm go. and that's man. Okay. Yeah. There's I'm not head. joking. Yeah. Um, but, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. That was worth it. That was huge. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to know like when was, um okay. Serious face. um, When, when was it? So you notice about a year in, Like this is never going to change when, like, what was it? Or when was it when you like, finally was like, I need to get the hell out of here.
2: So it was, it was around that year mark that I realized that, that staying there long-term was absolutely going to be a detriment to my overall mental health. I mean big time. It it already was. And and once especially once I made that connection, once I wasn't as you know, had had the the sheet pulled over my eyes, so to speak, that's when it was really like, ooh, okay. And 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 my mental health started dropping really bad. But it wasn't so easy as just leaving. At that point, I was working with a crew of people that I really loved and respected. Um, you know, when it was a rare thing in the first place to have employees that would stay on long-term because most of the guys that would show up would give it a day or two and then be like, well, you know, F this. I'm out. I'm not doing this. This is this is not any significant amount of pay for backbreaking work. I mean, he started me at $12 an hour. And I think by my first year, I was maybe... Maybe 13, 14, somewhere around there. But for the amount of time that I was putting in, for the amount that I was, you know, just mentally suffering, it just, it it made it very difficult to sustain that. And I remember there was a very specific incident with Cass that, you know, I, I had considered them very close friends prior to me realizing everything. And you know, I you know, I'll be completely transparent in saying that I had a close relationship with both of them. They were they were my friends. They were, you know, I considered Sam one of my one of my really good friends. And I thought that I could trust him. And so once I realized this one specific incident with Cass that was just like Wait a minute, you don't you don't give a shit about these animals the way that you portray yourself on social media too. That's when I started looking in deeper to all of their actions, all of their words. And that's when I really realized It was
0: just like hyper focused, right?
2: Yes. Well, once Confusing. you find
0: yeah, once you find that one I mean, that's what happened to me. You know, when I had that relationship with Samson when he was mentoring me early back in uh-huh. 2018, it took one incident that he actually screwed me over. For me to just, like, I had binoculars on every move that he Mm -hmm. was making and just realized, like, okay, like, I I can't believe I fell for that shit.
2: Yep. So around that year mark is when I stopped going to shows. I stopped really proudly wearing that Slither badge on social media. And at that point, I was trying to figure out a way how I could step away from everything. But it was hard because, like I said, I I had made some really fantastic connections with the people that did stay. I formed some really wonderful friendships. I mean, I'm I'm still friends with with these guys and if I walked away, that was 500 600 animals that would be dumped and dispersed among the three employees that would be remaining or I guess no, it was it was four employees that would be remaining there without me. So there were five of us total. And it was just and I knew that the second that I walked away that there were going to be animals that suffered.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a tough situation to be in, especially if anyone cannot hear um, this woman's love and passion for reptiles. I mean, putting animals in her pocket as a kid. Um, (laughs) And um, you know, I, I, I can imagine just also besides leaving the people, just knowing what you're like, the animals that you're leaving. Yeah. and and what's happening to those animals um, that that's a hard emotional break to to even consider
2: so it was like i was put in charge of a of of a certain portion of the facility you know it was my job to oversee these specific group of animals and i grew very attached to those animals you know i cut the eggs of a bunch of those animals and got to see them grow up start developing some of them were when i first came in i could tell that Whoever was was taking care of them before just just was not treating them properly because these animals were so incredibly nervous and defensive. I really don't like the term aggressive when it comes to snakes because I don't personally feel like snakes have the ability to be purposefully aggressive. I think that they're defensive and scared or hungry. But these animals were were so scared and so nervous, and I was so so proud of some of them that that just made a complete 180 and their personalities changed once they started getting consistent handling you know consistent treatment consistent feedings and i i loved these animals you know and it was so hard to walk away from that and the mammals too man they they're just there wasn't just retics at the facility there were mammals too and 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 when a mammal bonds with a human I mean that's that's just a completely different ball game because I would come in every day, and the kinkajou especially. There was a pair of kinkajou there. I would come in every day, and the two kinkajou would ooh make little sounds at me and just get so excited to see me every day. And like I would, I brought in bananas every day at lunch to be able to share with my with my kinkajou buddies, and just like. <sighs>
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel you. Um, it, it's a lot that it looks like you give in to the animals that you work with, if they're yours or not yours. Um, so I, I want to ask you, I mean, and I kind of want this to, to be the last question about this because I, I don't want to make this about Samson. He doesn't deserve that one bit, but, Absolutely. um, Nathan had a, um, Nathan had a question in regards to your experience with, uh, being there and he wanted to ask you what lessons good or bad did you learn from your time working with Samson and how do you apply those to your animal program?
2: Yeah. So, um, it's hard to say that I learned anything from Samson that I specifically apply to my collection other than how not, to treat these animals right, I mean, it was a good experience. On here's what not to do. Here's here's how you don't do things. Um, just being thrown into that situation of being around so many reticulated pythons of of different localities, different temperaments, different sizes. I mean, there were true true twenty plus foot giants in that collection. I mean. Animals that would get this big around with a meal in their belly. We were feeding some of those girls 25, 30, 35, sometimes even 40 pound, pound pigs. Um, Really, really big meals.
0: I can't even, I don't even know what that looks like in my head.
2: Big, 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 (laughs) big. (laughs) Um, But it having access to nearly every morph, every locality, it really helped me even that
0: people haven't even seen in the U.S. <laughs>
2: yeah, I know. The, uh, it really helped me narrow down exactly what I like, and really narrow down my focus onto the things that I personally wanted to produce. So I got to see a bunch of cutting ed- edge combos. You know, I was there kind of during the peak time of when the morph craze was going on, right? It was like, who can be the world's first to all of these things? And I mean, at the time, I was very impressed with like, wow, you know, look at this green moose guava juice giant snake birthday cake. That's from fairly odd parents. I, like, I was gonna <laughs> say like what? <laughs> you know, it's like stack 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 jeans, jeans, jeans. You know, there would there would be animals so washed out, so stacked with jeans that you, you can't even tell what they are kind of thing. Um, But that really did help me hone into the things that I was really passionate about, the things that really spoke to me, the animals that I really loved. And it was a very cool experience to cut as many clutches as I did and say, okay, this animal right here, this specific one animal, this is what I want. Exactly right here. This is it. So that that was a nice... Well, compensation, I suppose. <laughs> there were Don't, times that he wasn't able to um, to pay us. So it would oh, be like, hey, let me give you this really cool snake instead. Yeah,
0: that's how he gets his feeders.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, so the sheer number of animals that were there definitely gave me access to loads of scenarios that would have literally taken me years to come across within my own collection so getting to learn the personality differences between wild caught f1 captive bred animals um learning how to deal with a, a menagerie of a menagerie of, of animals that would push and and how to deal with those animals you know learning each one individually and how to identify, okay, this one is the one that just needs a really big meal to chill out. And this one doesn't care what size meal it gets. It wants a bigger enclosure or it wants a smaller enclosure. Um, Learning how to deal with animals that were egg bound, um, having hundreds of examples of male and female behaviors, not just during the breeding season, because you know one female isn't going to act the exact same as another one does, but seeing all the differences in one snake's defensive posturing between another, um, and oh, another weird thing was I um, I had no idea what hard belly was until I went to Sam's, and I had a you know a decent amount of opportunities to learn how to express hard belly and properly deal with hard belly in. In a reticulated python hatchling, um, I probably identified the gender and morphs of roughly six thousand hatchlings, and I mean that was a great experience in and of itself. Just, oh, just you know, we would have clutches, and and those clutches would range from you know. You'd have the the lower end of the clutch size being, you know, ten to fifteen eggs. The largest clutch I ever saw was like eighty-seven. I mean, that was just absolutely That's massive, insane. massive, massive clutch. So the, the the median for them was typically around around forty to fifty eggs, and we would have about sixty successful clutches a year. Uh, that's not including the ones that failed, the ones that, um, you know, I, I, don't think we ever put like the partho clutches on, I mean, I think sometimes we did, but a lot of those partho clutches just weren't super strong. So those wouldn't go on the, on the availability list and, um, yeah, really great,
0: I mean, I don't think that there is something regarding reticulated pythons that you you probably didn't have to face or troubleshoot. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's that's again, I mean, we can debate if it was worth the experience and seeing all that that you witnessed and experienced there. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, it definitely has made you an extremely experienced and good retake keeper.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. So I I just want to say again, sorry about. Like, truly sorry about just kind of that that whole entire process, the taking advantage of all of them that worked there, including yourself, um, and uh, just a horrible situation in, in general. I'm, I'm happy that you got out of there it's still having the same passion that you did when you got in there. Um and cause that's, that's huge. I mean, I, I, if I put myself in your situations, I feel like I'd leave there and like, ne- like I wouldn't want to look at a snake again. Um,
2: <laughs> if I'm honest, when I finally got out of that situation and we made our way back down to Georgia, it was, I distanced myself very, very hard from the reptile community, online presence. I was so burnt out at that point that I just, yeah, you went ghost. Find- yeah, I just needed time to heal, recuperate, get up. And, and honestly, I just needed time to rediscover the passion that I had for the animals that wasn't being influenced by Samson and Slither and Cass. Yeah. Um thank you for that, Tim. I really appreciate that.
0: So let me let me ask you this. Um I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts um about this, but I, I wanna know what it's like being a woman in the reptile industry with intentions to breed, to sell big projects. Um, I, I I'm curious that like, I, to me, I feel like women are misrepresented in all of reptiles um, because there are plenty of phenomenal breeders out there. And you know, when you, whenever you go on like the retic nation or something and people ask for good reputable breeders, I never see a woman's name on there. Yeah. But I, 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 I I know several that are, incredible at what they keep and what they do um like what are your what are your thoughts on that and like what's your experience i mean are you seeing the same thing that i'm seeing i'm curious on just kind of that inside perspective of of that aspect
2: absolutely it's it's kind of hard to answer this question super broad just because everybody's experience is going to be a little different but for me personally And we can even break this into two different parts, right? Because there's being a woman in the reptile community, and then there's being a woman in the retic community. And that's a completely different ballgame altogether, just because reticulated pythons, I feel like are typically seen as a guy's pet or as a guy's interest. You know, these are really large animals. They can, they have the potential to get really, really big. But women can still absolutely handle them. And I think things have definitely gotten better. I think as far as representation goes, it's been coming around like Meg from Megaconda is absolute badass ambassador for for women in the reptile industry. Even in, in Juliet from from Prehistoric Pets is a badass, you know, I don't need to go into the other aspects of prehistoric pets that I don't like, but Juliet is a badass. I think she's fantastic. I got to to hang out at at prehistoric pets for a little while back in 2019, and she's very cool.
0: This comment that that uh, Tim made earlier, like way earlier on, I was scrolling through to find <laughs> it, but but um, I, I I mean you know it, it's it's it, I I feel like. You know, people think about strength and, and people think about like needed to, to handle large constrictors. And yeah, there's an aspect of strength that people need, but I mean, I I feel like it's definitely more about knowing the snake, knowing how to lift with your legs rather than trying to drag with your back. Um, and just knowing where to hold the snake by, if you need to drag it across the lawn or, uh, try to get it in a tub. Um, and so I, I, you know, Nathan asked a question. Here's the second question that he wanted to ask. Um, So for those that don't know, Kagan hits the gym hard. Mm -hmm. Nathan um, wants to, to ask, uh, oh man, here we go again. Lost the freaking question happened again. They're on my phone. So, um, so he asked how important is your fitness in terms of keeping large reptiles for me after back surgery, even working with super was a big task. And fitness is what I feel keeps me able to keep these animals. So like, does your fitness and what you do have anything to do with the animals that you keep? Does it help with that?
2: Oh, man. I love this question. First of all, Nathan, I miss that you're here because I was very much so looking forward to having this discussion with you because we haven't really gotten a chance to sit down and have a one-on-one yet. But I am so incredibly glad that you are taking a little moment for, for mental health relaxation. That is so incredibly important. I, I can't stress that enough. And I love that, that he asked this question because it's kind of funny. I actually started working out to better handle reticulated pythons. So mm-hmm. I started working out and, and oh my, oh my all my geckos are chirping at each other. <laughs> um, I started working out when I was working at Slither, when I was working with these these true 20 foot plus giants and finesse when it comes to handling the animals is a huge component of being able to know how to manipulate them and get them around but when it comes to an animal of that size there has to be a strength component in it as well i mean once you once you pass like the 14 foot mark that's when you've got to have a little strength behind you to be able to move these animals around. Cause if you don't, they will throw you around. And so I started working out just because I was like, well, shit, you know, if, if I'm going to be working with these really big snakes, I need to be able to lift these animals. So what started as an intention to be able to handle the animals to the best of my ability ended up becoming a really, really solid stone foundation that I almost just base everything around now. Fitness and, and being healthy and going to the gym plays such a large part in my, in my day-to-day. You know, we go to the gym four times a week. We try to. Sometimes we miss a day here and there. But, you know, we do weightlifting and it has improved my overall mental health. Obviously it's improved my physical health. There's something about lifting weights that really presses those, those dopamine buttons in my brain. I mean, it just, Absolutely. It, it helps me stay on track and stay motivated and stay focused. I mean, I am happier. I'm overall just healthier. Everything about it has, has reflected well in my life. I I, I don't know how to live without it now, you know? And I don't believe I have any animals at the moment that are going to get 20 foot. You know, I don't have any intention of, of keeping retics that get that big myself personally, but it's nice knowing that I can handle them if I need to.
0: Yeah. Now I want to kind of go back to like, in terms of um, how, your experience of being a a woman in the reptile industry, you said that things are changing and and starting to get better. And I definitely see that you see a lot more women that coming and being ambassadors. Um, Any thoughts, anything that you kind of want to share about any women that might be nervous about making the next step or trying to, to be a big breeder. Um, I hope really that's not the case that, that people are are reserved on that. But um, because like I said, I think some of the best keepers and breeders out there are women that just don't get the recognition they deserve.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think if you are a woman that is nervous about getting a retic because you are afraid that it's going to get to a point where you can't handle it properly, obviously there are some things with the animals themselves that you can do. You can get an animal that has small locality influence to help, you know, keep that size a little bit more manageable. But I think the biggest thing is getting a hatchling that you can learn and grow with as that animal gets bigger. So that was also my hesitation when it came to getting into these really large constrictors. I was like, wow, these animals are beautiful. Everything about them is just it, it is just magnificent and elegant. And the, the shape of their face and the way that their eyes look. I mean, everything about them was so cool. But I was like, these animals have the potential to get big. So... I'm very glad that I started off with a hatchling as my very first one because I learned so much just from, from growing with that animal from, I remember, I even remember like the first time that my, my first snake, my first retick, like tagged me as like a, a, you know, he wasn't, he was probably seven foot ish, maybe eight foot, um, pop me on my thigh because I just like opened his tub I'd gotten into the habit of he was really really docile really cool I most of the time I would just open his tub and he was fine and that was when when he when I opened his tub and I was like getting something ready to clean over here he just like popped me on my thigh and I was like oh I can't do this anymore (laughs) okay all right I'll learn I'll learn this and so learning with that animal is just it, it it's It will put your mind at ease because getting into a really, really large constrictor that's already 10 plus foot is not the way to go. Getting that hatchling first and then diving into it that way, then you're going to be like, okay, well, maybe one more won't hurt.
0: (laughs) And then 20 later.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, all right. I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, yeah. kind of like our, our, wrapping up, uh, you know, topic is kind of the current state of the retake industry. So before we even jump yeah. into that, I want to talk to you about like, now that now that you like are starting to re-engage back into your social media and you're posting more, yes. um, how, how like in it, like, you know, when people talk about the community, right. Um, how like,
2: I, I guess how
0: involved are you in it?
2: Yeah. So I used to be pretty good about posting fairly consistently. And then I went to Sam's and my hands were so full with the animals there that it became kind of difficult to continually maintain that. And then, of course, just with my mental state, it went downhill. I have been trying very, very hard to get back into the social media game just because I've come to realize that having an online presence just with the day and age that we are in with reptiles people want to see what you're doing and if they don't see that it doesn't give them the confidence to purchase from you they want to know like oh you know what she got in the incubator what what morphs does she have and not only does that generate potential customer in in, uh influence for the future you know if they know hey i've got these animals that i'm planning on pairing and i'm being transparent about that not only does that help generate, you know, potential customers for those projects in the future when they actually come to fruition. But it helps people know that, you know, you're, you're in it. And so I have been trying to get a little bit better about posting, but it it just, it's kind of on the back of my mind, right? Because my, my first thought is, what all do I need to do with these animals? Keeping them all clean, not just the reptiles, but all the other animals that we have outside. And making that post on social media is not the first thing that comes to my brain, making sure the animals are in a good spot and clean and healthy and happy. That's the first thing that my priority is. So I'm trying, I'm trying really hard to, to, to flip that switch and change my, my mindset on that to be a little bit more active on social media.
0: You know, it's funny. You say that when I first started keeping my collection was smaller, like that was like, I was you know, in the snake room and I was handling them and I was, I was getting videos and content to push on there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, now when I go in, I'm cleaning, I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of the animals and like if I happen to take a picture or video because a snake looked good, Mm -hmm. you know, it goes up on my social media and it's, it's actually pretty funny. You know, a lot of the times, um, you know, Sean who comes over to help me out, Mm -hmm. um, I I'll, I'll realize I haven't posted something in like two to three days and I'm like, and Sean will send me a video that he took and I'm like, Oh, I'll post this. Perfect. Um, yeah. Right. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is great. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the priority definitely changes over time when um, the more that you keep, but I'm I'm glad to hear that you're, you're wanting to get more involved. You know, it, it's, I feel like it's a necessary evil. Yeah. You know, if you want to be successful, um, right. Like there's people who tell me that, you know, they, they want to be a breeder. Right. And then they're like, oh, but I don't want to be on Facebook. And I'm like, well, like that's, that's like 80% of where interactions, people see comments, people engage. And that's where people post their animals. You can have an Instagram, but no one really, the back and forth communication and, and other people in the industry don't really see that on Instagram. Like they do right. on Facebook because right. on Instagram, there's no groups. Mm-hmm. Right. So I feel like it's a necessary evil because yeah there's there's uh you know there's the the machismo that goes on there's the the showing other people up there's all the the crap that goes on within every quote unquote community mm-hmm. um like how much do you keep up with that stuff
2: I I listen in but I I typically don't contribute unless it's something like the Samson situation um Just because like all the, all the, you know, internal fighting that tends to go on, on social media is just, it's not something that I can, I can really give the time of day, you know, like I don't, I don't have time for that, man. I've got to keep my animals clean. I gotta, I gotta worry about my health and fitness. I don't, I can't dedicate a little portion of my brain to worrying about, you know, who's doing what I might have an opinion on it, but I might not post that.
0: Right. (laughs) Right.
2: The other thing, too, is that when you have these social media accounts, it doesn't there, there is a point where it's almost like it doesn't just become something that's fun where you say, oh, this animal looks great. I'm gonna post it. It almost becomes a job. And so when it becomes a job and it's something that you're forced to do and you might not necessarily be passionate about it, there's a there's a portion of the that might end up resenting that. And right. I like, I'm trying to find that fine balance of like, like you exactly like you were saying, whenever I, you know, cause every time I go to clean, I'm like, Oh, you look great. Let me snap your picture real quick. And I'm trying to like, Oh, as soon as I take that picture or as soon as I'm done cleaning, that's what needs to go on social media. Because right. if I'm impressed by that and I think that looks great, you know, that's what needs to be shared with everybody.
0: Right. Um, you know, for me, I'm like, I, I, I take pictures, I take videos all the time. I just, I, I don't get around to the posting because, you know, besides the, the animals and cleaning the full-time job, the, you know, my, my daughter, my wife like that. Right. And so like, I, I'll be like, Oh, I got to post. And then I just go through my phone and start scrolling on what I want to post. Like it's, it's, it's never, it used to be like a, I'm going to post this that I'm doing in the moment. Right. Um,
2: so Tim, Tim made a really good comment here. He said, folks at least need to spend time with adult retics before even getting a hatchling just to see how much it can be, how much it can take. I really like that because so something that I got the opportunity to do before I really dove headfirst into retics was there is a local breeder named Matt Bowers of Peach State Pythons. He has a beautiful collection of retics and berms. And back in 2018, when I was like thinking about getting into him, he was like, hey, come over and check out the collection. I will show you you know, what it's like to have a big room full of animals that can piss a lot. So getting to see that firsthand, getting to hold those those true giant animals, getting to see the size potential of everything. That's when I made up my mind that I was like, this is absolutely the species for me. Yeah. But I got that experience and I got to see what it was like prior.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think that it's like, that's the ideal way to to definitely go about it. If you have the opportunity to get into that uh, experience so that you know what the undertaking is and, and what that's going to be. Um, you know, I think that's going to probably weed out maybe some of the people who are like, yeah, I want one. And then they're like, Oh, wait, I just, you know, this 14 foot snake was way too big when I went over to so-and-so's place. Um, mm-hmm. It can definitely, you know, instead of the re aspect happening, um, I will totally say that was not my experience. Like I, I did not see a big retake or, or work with a big retick. I got a hatchling though. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I even jumped in. So I, I did this completely ass backwards. Um, <laughs> I jumped into retics, uh, got a baby, got another baby, and then I bought a wild cop pair. Mm-hmm. Right, so two retics in, and then three and four are wild caught, you know, calatoids. And I, um, let me tell you, I that was like retic one hundred one, one hundred two, one hundred three, one hundred four, one hundred five, in like a six month period. Like it taught <laughs> me every lesson that I needed to know um, like outside that. of health issues. So, um, but um,
2: was that the calatoa pair that yeah, came from? Yeah. So do you? I, did he send you the pictures of me holding those animals?
0: Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: That's hilarious. I remember yeah. the day he was, he was like, Hey, I need you to take some pictures of these animals for customers. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. I had a great time bringing them out, but that's, that's really funny that they ended up yep. going. To you're, you.
0: you're, you're wearing your slither leggings. Um,
2: <laughs> burn them.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, I definitely went into the deep end there and it definitely, you know, I'm still around, still love them, but, but I made, I mean, I kept one for two years and I loved, you know, it, I was going to make it work, but definitely I, I agree a hundred percent with Tim, like get your eyes on them in person mm-hmm. and uh, at least know what it's like and what you're, what you're up against is definitely the best.
2: Or route. at least watch somebody's YouTube channel that shows them handling it. So you can get a general idea if there's nobody close Nearby, or or you know, nobody that will bring you into their building, into their collection.
0: Yeah, Um, so there's a new wave, and I I talk about this with every guest, and it's usually the wrap up kind of discussion that I like to talk Mm -hmm. about, um, because I find myself kind of converting slowly but surely. But there's a new wave of keepers keeping retics that come from different species, um, and I. And they're including naturalistic enclosures. So they're putting Mm -hmm. naturalistic soils. They're putting, you know, um, uh, uh, cleanup crews and springtails, isopods, things like that, or at Mm -hmm. least like larger enclosures with uh, a lot more enrichment inside of them. Um, What are your thoughts about kind of that aspect with retics, even mainlands and that such? And like, what, what do you have any plans in the future of giving it a shot? or
2: So, I think it is a really, really fantastic wave that is, that is making moves throughout the Ritik community. We're seeing more and more people come in with either naturalistic enclosures or just enrichment objects in that animal's enclosure that's going to really stimulate them, right? And it's something that I have started personally doing with my own collection. You know, it's, It's got to be a little little baby steps because it takes, you know, little parts at a time. But I recently you can see one in this girl's enclosure right here. Um, I recently built some they're just like little hammocks made out of PVC pipe and netting that I was like, let me build four of these and put them in with my animals and just kind of see what they do. And the turnout has been phenomenal. I mean, out to me. They're they're really easy to build, man. They're just like it's just PVC and 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 some plastic netting, and the animals go ham for them. It's like I I watched a snake the other day. I came in back and forth checking on her because I put this in her, her enclosure for the first time and let her start exploring it, and she just like nonstop was like sniffing the plastic, going up, seeing what it's like to to really lay on the top of that hammock. Then she's like, "Mm, let me see what it's like to lay underneath. And she went back and forth. And it's just like, when you give these animals the opportunity to explore or to enrich themselves through things in their environment, they are absolutely going to take it. And that is something that wasn't really prevalent or pushed harder with Retix until kind of recently. And I love seeing this wave and come through and and the changes that people are making, because it really shows that people are thinking about the animal's health and well-being over everything else. And part of that health and well-being is their mental state. And I I actually really love, you know, the experiment that you're doing with the VivTech bulbs and seeing um, the progress on that Halmahera girl. Just, yeah, I actually meant to bring that up and ask how that's been going.
0: So you talking about that, that's what I was about to share. Um, You know, I I went and I I threw in a cleanup crew and it's a naturalistic setup um, and there's wood over there. I don't have any live plants or anything, um, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, it's it's, now she still loves her skyhide. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm in the garage, I, I mostly see her there, but, um, I, I love seeing like now that there's a branch under the Vitek bulb, I'll mm-hmm. see her perching on that branch.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and at night she's more active than ever. She's mm-hmm. literally, I'll look at the camera and she's doing laps. Um, <laughs> it is so cool to see. Um, and then not only that, but like, I just, I find it rewarding having this like other, yeah. other animal, like another little, um, shout out to Christina Hill. Um, with Genetics Nerd, she sent me uh, the cleanup crew, and, and I'm going to use her term. She calls them her bugaboos, but it's really cool. Like, I opened up the jar and I was like, oh, you guys are my new pets. Like, yeah. and so I threw them in the enclosure, and now I go in there, and my girl will be on the top, and I'm in there. I'm looking for the bugs. I'm not looking for her anymore. Right. Like, I'm so, um, <laughs> But I've actually liked it so much, and I like having the wood in there and all that stuff that I have those, like, large 5-foot ARS racks that yeah. I now only have two retics in, uh, like, like, sub-adult retics in, mm-hmm. because I'm moving them out into enclosures. And I was like, damn it, I really regret, like, getting, you know, spending 35 dollars you know, $4,000 on this rack, because um, I want to get away from it, but... Now what I'm doing is I'm about to set up my first one, but I'm setting up those naturalistic. So I'm going to put the mm-hmm. soil, I'm going to put bugs in there. And then my holdbacks that aren't even a year old yet, I'm, I'm throwing them in a five foot, 11 inch tall, um, uh, you know, quote unquote bioactive setup with wood, with a cleanup crew. And so right. I, I, I can at least get um, some form of, of use out of them.
2: So... I am planning on, I don't know if I'm going to convert this cage right here, this this four footer specifically to, because it's it's one of those very tall ones, really deep bottom chamber, really cool. Actually, I think this is, this one might be three foot. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if I want to convert this one or get an even bigger one and just go bigger with, with the build, but I absolutely am going to do at least one completely full bioactive enclosure just to test it out and see it's going to have to be with a smaller animal just because every story that I hear about anybody attempting a completely bioactive furnished with plants enclosure with adult retics just gets absolutely yeah. destroyed. Did, I think there's, you, a, there's a turning point where they just get a little too big for uh, Pothos in their enclosure.
0: Did Did you watch uh, the episode with Scott Seavers that we had on?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I mean, he even said it took him a while and it, it's, it's, a you know, it, it takes a lot of plug and play to find out, you know, he says that you start to learn where they move around, where they like to stay. And then you have to plant the the plants in the areas, you know, they, they're not destructive with, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that it's, uh, I, I really like it and, and I think it's pushing the industry and getting away from the same old and, and really, I love seeing that we're we're Focusing on the well-being of the animals instead of the well-being of of a breeding project.
2: Well, I, the, like what I texted you the other day, I was cleaning enclosures and just decided oh, let me let me throw my ball python in my four foot enclosure and just you know watch and see what she does. Dude, I am gonna order. I mean, I'm I literally have it in my in my cart right now. I'm about to order a bunch of um, four footers. And I'm going to put about four or five ball pythons and four footers, the ones that are more confident. Obviously, there are ones that just would not thrive in a, in a big enclosure open. They just don't want that. But the one, I, you know, I have some very confident ball pythons. She explored that enclosure forever hours man i I just put her in there because i was like "Oh, i'm cleaning temporarily i'm just gonna throw you in here just to see what you do and i left her in there because every time i was like all right let me move you out she was like checking out some other aspect of it some little little tiny corner of the enclosure and she confidently just roamed the whole thing for the entire couple hours that i was cleaning and i was like holy shit how are
0: you gonna take her out this is
2: so cool i know and then when i did open the door she came straight out to me and just like went right up onto my arm and i was like dude
0: yeah not ball python behavior
2: (laughs) oh that's awesome is is this what we needed to change right (laughs) right
0: um yeah it's like they're like oh there's light out here Mm -hmm. oh there's 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 a shelf there's branches there's room um no that is cool um I can imagine if ball python breeders started going that route they'd they'd need like eight thousand foot facilities but um oh
2: well, yeah absolutely hundred percent i mean it, it's it's and it's not feasible with every animal just because i I have animals that I absolutely know would detest being in an open spot like that they're right. they're confident and happy in their in their tubs and if I put them in something that was not as uh you know, that was more transparent, they would just be constantly on edge, nervous all the time. Right. So it it really depends on the animal, but it's something that I would like to try with mine just because of of that one girl's reaction.
0: Yeah. You, you saw it here, Alex's comment. So after this, you need to start getting that room set up before he changes his mind. Um, yeah, that, I think that's a great idea. I mean, I, that, that is going to be my, Oh, that's a beautiful big girl. Yes, awesome, um, hefty lady. Yeah that that's a that's a goal of mine is to be able to have a room like that where I can uh, Blake Stewart, one of our sponsors of of Stewart, um, designed. Uh, he he's got a room that is um, massive with ropes and and shelves and that he just you know he puts his retakes in there and just lets them be there for as long as they want. Yeah. Um, oh, I love well, that.
2: I I've been thinking about just I don't know where I would put it because if I'm gonna be getting, um, I plan on getting minimum eight more four footers and I would like to ideally get 12 if I really could find the space for them. But what I would really love to do is just build like kind of what you were saying, a exercise enclosure for the animals, just, you know, once a day, every other day, what, whatever they need, throwing them in there and letting them have a huge six foot by five foot by six foot enclosure to explore.
0: I like my dream, um, you know, when when my my wife and I want to move and get some property and I plan to build like a a, like a 1500 square foot, you know, little metal garage shed thing. And I want to make a a 500 uh, square foot like I want to make a third of that or a fourth of it, a walk in and just rotate animals in there.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and just allow them to stay in there, I think, and have it naturalistic and look awesome and have huge branches in there. And,
2: yeah.
0: um, I think that'd be really cool to see animals, uh, just, you know, being able to give them that opportunity that, that, you know, every, every couple weeks they're able to go in there.
2: Yeah. So, it's...
0: um, Kagan, let me ask you this. I, I want to go ahead and kind of end us off on a note in regards to, um, Giving you the floor in terms of last words, statements, encouragements, anything that you want to talk to anybody who's watching or who will watch this that doesn't have a retic or has a hundred retics. But um, uh, what you know, what is it about these animals that you're absolutely obsessed with, and what do you want to leave listeners uh, with?
2: Well, really quick, did did we want to touch on just the current state of the retic industry at all, or do we just want to?
0: So, well, go ahead, jump in. Okay.
2: Sure. Uh, so, so something that I've kind of noticed with, within the retic industry, and I know obviously people have been, been bringing this up before, but overproduction of reticulated pythons has got Mm. to stop. It is, I, I, I almost wonder if Samson himself really didn't just plant this bomb that was eventually going to explode because if I saw 6,000 hatchlings just in the in the two and a half years that I was there, that's just an overpopulation of the market to, to people that don't need reticulated pythons. And I think people need... I know that some have already been doing this, stepping back, planning their breedings for the year, really considering what they're going to be able to move and what the industry needs as far as more animals being produced and put out there um and if you, if you're thinking about breeding i encourage you to really first and foremost figure out what it is about these animals that you're passionate about you know do you really like this really cool um eye stripe and head stamp that this one morph Has And do you want to further try and just, you know, breed those animals to have even better versions of that? Do you really love purples and you want to make the most spectacular, vibrant purple ever? Then that's wonderful. If you have that goal in mind and that's something that you want to set for yourself, hell yeah. I encourage that. But if you're just like, oh, I have these two animals and you know, I'm not really sure what they're going to make, but I'm going to pair Ugh. them together. Don't pair a sunfire to a het purple and make normals and sunfires that are pos het purple, you know, be right. Be selective with the animals that you want to produce and don't oversaturate the market with, with cheap animals that, that are just going to get passed off into homes that aren't going to be taken care of properly
0: my my favorite least favorite facebook post on a group is <laughs> i i have this male and i have this female if i breed them together what do i make what will i make <laughs> and it's like no don't do that <laughs> it yeah. it's frustrating because over yeah overproduction is huge and what's what's absolutely mind blowing is that the superdorf craze started back in like 2017 and we're already getting to the point where we're, we're almost hitting that. Like two years ago, a 50% Kalatoa Annery Motley was $2,500. Mm-hmm. And and now that 50% Kalatoa Annery Motley is $750.
2: Yeah. I and mean, it's just. Not only that, but when you're looking at these morphs, the amount of undercutting that breeders will do to each other when they go to list them is absolutely insane so I can't remember what it was that I was looking for the other day but I go on morph market and I'm like all right you know show me this morph and because I do that just about every day I go on morph market and I'm not even really looking to buy but I'm just gonna see what what's out there what people are producing because that you know that's another way to stay relevant with just what people are putting out there it's that's just that's exactly
0: what, yeah, I mean, that, like, if I have something I want to plan in the future as far as breeding, or if I'm curious about a certain market, that's exactly, I mean, I study morph market to know what the the market yes. is.
2: And not only that, I will actually go into animals that have already been sold, and I'm like, okay, show me examples of, you know, Motley Tiger's and I'll go through and I'll get to see all of these examples of Motley Tigers. And I I'm like, okay, I really love the way the side rosettes meld into, you know, the the back pattern on this animal. So that's what I'm going to aim for because that's what I specifically like. But when you have, you know, a purple that you list for a certain amount and that's kind of the industry standard is that the purple is worth this amount, you I know that times have been tough and that and that people are, you know, wanting to make these sales and, and wanting to move their animals. But when you permanently list an animal and undercut the animal for for over 50 percent or more, 75 percent of its value on the morph market just because you need to sell it. No, man, you need to have been prepared to hold on to that animal and feed that animal until it sells.
0: Right. And that that's what exactly what I was going to say. The reason for that is just the the idea of, you know, you're, I, I, I feel like I've mentioned this a bunch of times. Actually, we did on a recent episode talking about just like, um, you know, holdbacks and then how you sell those animals being prepared to, you know, for a lot of people are getting in the game with these heavy hitter morphs and combos that are going on and i i'm sorry i gotta stop i love what's going on right now with you and that girl um but um yeah, I mean, people get in with these heavy hitter morphs and they don't. They're like, "Yeah, I, I bought these two or three animals, and when I pair them together, it's going to make animals that are sixty five hundred dollars." It's like what mm-hmm. what you fail to realize is that there, there's a very very small percentage of the market that's in the market for that expensive of an animal, and if you aren't planning to hold on to those animals for eighteen months, yeah then what ends up happening is the pressure to sell. And that $6,500 animal, you're now like, hey, I have it listed at $6,500, but I'll sell it to you for $2,000. Right. And then now, now you just cut everybody who's working on that same project. Um, right. So, exactly. yeah, I mean, overproduction, I can definitely say, is like the number one area of um, – the number one area in regards to what, like what is – the, the downside and negative with, with the retail community right now mm-hmm. is there's just too many things being produced and not enough selective planning and thought going into what it is that you're trying to produce. Because at the end of the day, the way that I see it, if you're doing a pairing and it's not providing value to, like, the animals out there in the U S you probably don't need to do that pairing because 10 other people, 15, 20 other people are doing the same pairing. That's the way that I, that's the way I see it, which is why I focus on locality stuff or, or like very specific morphs into localities to try to increase how they look.
2: So I know that a lot of people probably bought into animals during the, you know, around like, 2017, 18, 19, when the morph craze was really going on, it became this thing that, well, the most stacked animals are the most, are the ones that are worth the most. Those are the ones that need to breed. And when you think about the clutches that that animal is going to produce down the line, like you were saying, are you really going to be able to move a five gene animal that you're, you know, valuing at... $3,000, $4,000, $5,000. Are you going to be able to move that animal? How long are you going to be sitting on that animal? Are you, are you really going to, you know, take that 75% price cut on that animal just to be able to sell it? And, you know, like we were talking earlier, I have a, I always have to look at her name tag just because it's green moose guava juice all over again, but she's a, a platinum lavender golden child motley tiger. She's, you know, she's a, Big, light yellow snake with silver eyes. She's really gorgeous. She's, she's an absolute sweetheart. But I have no intentions on breeding that animal. Not just because I don't want to make many mainland pairings, but I also don't want to make banana snakes. I don't want to right. make any kind of pairing that isn't going to, like you said, further the direction of the retic industry in some way, shape, or form. And I don't want to flood the market with, with animals that, that, that people can't afford that, that aren't relevant. Because at this point, I don't think that most people that are, that are, that have a breeding program are going to say, ah, oh, yeah, I really want this platinum lavender, motley golden child tiger, blah, 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 you right. know, over a marble 50% saler or something like that.
0: Right. So I mean, is it fair to say that last comment you want to leave people with is talking about overproduction and and Absolutely. not doing that? I
2: mean, that's something that I'm really passionate about. I, right. I just I just want people to be responsible with their with their pets and, and the things that they produce and you know the the retic market isn't just one singular person it's a com, 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 huh, wow. cumulation of everybody that contributes to it and if you right. list an animal for sale you are part of that market and yeah. you are responsible for the things that you produce and and how you hold your business
0: yeah i i can't thank you enough for coming on and i if anyone like doubted um passion from you i mean i feel like that can be definitely checked off the list and if they <laughs> watch you on another podcast that's for sure um it's always refreshing to see someone come on here with as much experience as you still have the insane amount of love and respect for these animals um so i i'm i'm super grateful and thankful that you were able uh to come on if you don't mind before we go ahead and sign out can you just share with people where they can find you
2: Absolutely. So on every platform, I am reptiles and roses at reptiles and roses with underscores on each of them. I am on Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok. Yeah. There's There's some older videos of me holding some, some pretty giant snakes on my TikTok. So that's pretty cool.
0: So those of you that are still listening, go ahead and give her a follow. And for everyone who's hung out this far into it, thank you guys so much. Sorry about the um, issues with the lag. Hopefully that's kind of cleared out. I know that that was happening for a bit. And I just want to remind you guys, um, go ahead and share the Retick Lounge uh, YouTube on social media. Uh, We're trying to get those subs to 1,000 so we can do our giveaway Um, maybe it'll be one of you that are listening right now who wins $400 worth of VivTech products. Um, this was by far, um, one of my favorite interviews to have with you, Kagan. It was a blast having you on and it's always great just getting insight, hearing your passion and your knowledge. So we appreciate you for coming on.
2: Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I I love talking snakes, so I'm down to do it anytime.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So everyone, thanks for tuning in and you'll see another episode of the Retake Lounge next Friday and every Friday after that. Uh, Everyone have a good
2: night. Have a good night, guys.